0: I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And if you're using one of the Bibles that's provided for you here, it should be on page 975. If you're visiting with us, we've been in a series uh, through this letter to the Galatians that the Apostle Paul had penned. And uh, we make our way up here to Galatians chapter 5. Initially, as you see in the bulletin, I was going to take verses 13 through 26 Uh, But I realize in light of the Lord's Supper, in light of the presentation afterwards, and just a need to kind of maybe just slow down for a little bit to kind of get our uh, grasp and get our breath back uh, in this letter, Uh, we're only going to look at verses 13 through 15. So just a few verses uh, this day. And here in this section, the Apostle Paul is going to draw out the implications of the freedom that Jesus Christ alone has won for us and those uh, can experience and enjoy uh, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so, what is that freedom? What does that freedom um, enable us to do? How ought we to use the freedom that Christ has given to us? So, we'll look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. But before we read, let's go before our God in prayer that He might uh, bless this word to us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Your word, even as we have sung, is forever fixed in the heavens. The opinions of men change all the time, and they're unreliable, and yet your word is true. And the gospel that was preached by the Apostle Paul continues to be the power of God for salvation. And so, Father, may that word come to us as such, as the very power uh, that comes from you to save and bring people into union with Jesus Christ. And so, Father, accomplish those things according to your grace and by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, this is the holy and inspired word of God. The Apostle Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So far from God's holy word. And I ask you to please keep your Bibles open as we look at these uh, verses together. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most important points that the Apostle Paul has been trying to drill into the consciousness, the thinking of the church, is that what is effective for spiritual growth, and what is effective for dealing with sin, breaking the chains of sin and misery, what is ultimately effective for finding freedom is not the works of our own hands. He's been highlighting the fact that our own hands are too weak, our, own, our arms are too weak to break the things that hold us in bondage even in bondage to the present evil age, as the Apostle Paul talks about in the very opening of this letter. Yet the Apostle Paul, by highlighting our own weakness, then points us to the one who alone can set us free. The one who alone can affect real change in our relationship to God and in our relationship to one another in the church. And that one person is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who alone delivers us uh, from the present evil age. All right, so Paul has been, throughout all of these sections, pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who has power, as the one who is effective in truly delivering from bondage and bringing into freedom, which is why freedom is a major theme uh, throughout this letter. And so here, again, the Apostle Paul uh, draws a further contrast between that which enslaves and that which brings us freedom. Drawing a contrast and exhorting the church not to go back to those things that would enslave, but instead to live out the freedom that Jesus Christ has won. And then he goes on to explain what that looks like for uh, the church as well. And so it's kind of three main things that are, going, that are taking place in these verses here that we want to focus on. The first is the call uh, our being called to freedom as a statement of fact as the foundation of the Christian life the call that god has given up to us to freedom and then secondly a twofold command and then a twofold incentive on how why we are to fulfill uh, that command and so first we want to think about this statement of fact the foundation of the Christian life notice what it says at the beginning of verse 13 Right, Paul tells the church and says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Paul here is in some sense summarizing and encapsulating everything he's already been saying up to this point. As he's opened up and unfolded the riches of the good news of Jesus Christ, right, he had opened up this entire letter by reminding us of what took place in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 4, if you just turn back a page. In many ways, we've returned to this verse over and over again because I think it's very definitive and um, provides the right paradigm for us to think about uh, this letter properly. But beginning at verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And so, Paul again has been highlighting the fact that we cannot deliver ourselves. That's why he emphasizes the flesh and says, Don't trust in your flesh, don't walk by your flesh, and live according to your flesh. It is weak. But Christ is powerful, Christ is strong, and Christ has given himself at the cross, in death, to set us free, to deliver us from the present evil age, and to be a kind of new creation, to be a people no longer enslaved to the things of this world and the manner of this world and the ethic of this world, marked by devouring one another and, com- and competing with one another and measuring ourselves against one another. But he says, instead, you have been delivered from that by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ and so Paul reminds us here, in chapter 5, verse 13, you were called to freedom. God himself has come to you in Jesus Christ, in the good news, and he's called you not to slavery, not to bondage, but to freedom. This is the freedom that Jesus Christ has won uh, for us. One commentator had put it this way, That Paul's point here is that God has set his people free, has moved them from bondage into freedom. His one paramount point, that God through Christ has brought freedom to mankind. And this, of course, again, as we've been talking about, is the result of the work of Jesus Christ. And again, another point that we've said over and over again, is that the reason that this is the case... And the loudest, you know, slamming on the pulpit that the Apostle Paul could do to get us to understand that we cannot save ourselves is the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross, right? The cross of Jesus Christ stands as that definitive statement from God that human effort cannot save. Human effort will leave you stuck in the mire, stuck in your misery, stuck in sin. But Jesus Christ alone is effective uh, to redeem us and ultimately to save us. And Paul is saying that this, if you are a Christian, this is at the foundation of your life. This is at the bottom of your life from which now all of the commands that come to you, right? Because Paul's now going to say you've been called to this as a statement of fact. Now the commands are going to come on how we then ought to live in light of this. But this is the bottom line foundation, the indicative, the grace of God that God gives to us in Christ. And we need to have this just seared into our minds, seared into our minds, Right? Because in moments of temptation when sin calls me back to bondage, in moments of temptation when I want to compete with my brother and sister in the church or I want to measure myself against one another, I want to look down upon somebody else who maybe doesn't have the same view on something as I have or whatever it might be, right? In, In those moments, we're to remind ourselves that you were called to freedom and my brother and sister was called to freedom as well. So Paul's point is going to be later, not to jump ahead too far, but right, he's saying that we're not to relate to one another, therefore, as if I'm your taskmaster, or I'm the one who dictates your life, or I'm the one whom you must ultimately agree with. No, rather, just as God called me to freedom, he called us to freedom. He called my brother and sister to freedom. So we'll say more about that later. Therefore, rather than taskmasters, as we're going to see, we're to relate to one another as servants relate to one another, even as Paul, it gets translated a little bit muted here, but really as, as if I'm your slave. That's the kind of language the Apostle Paul is saying, how we ought to relate to one another in the church, not over one another, but, but as your servant, as one who loves you, one who sacrifices for you, one who d- lays down his life for you, right? Right? So that's this is going to be the implications of this indicative of this statement of fact. You were called to freedom, not just individually, but together, corporately, one another, and your brother was called to freedom as well. So that's the statement of fact, the, the very foundation of your life as a Christian. Now, from that, uh, a twofold command goes out, and it goes out as both positive and negative. Paul begins with the negative. And then he speaks about the positive. because He says, okay, if we were called to freedom, well, can I therefore then do whatever I want? Then it doesn't matter how I treat one another. Paul's saying, no, that's not the kind of freedom that God has called you to. He's not called you to that kind of freedom because that kind of freedom is actually bondage. That kind of freedom is going back to what God had freed you from. So notice what it says in terms of the command in light of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ in setting us free. He says at the second part of verse 13, he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The picture the Apostle Paul is drawing here regarding the negative uh, statement, right? Do not use your freedom freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, the idea here is kind of like a, a base of operations, right? Don't make your freedom a kind of base of operations from which all of the wickedness, which he's going to talk about later, and all of the sin and all that belongs to the flesh has sort of a safe place then to go out and bite and devour and consume. Right? Don't have it as, a, as kind of a military base of operations where now your freedom ent- entitles you to now do whatever it is you might want, especially as Paul talks about here in relation to one another. Paul saying that's not the kind of freedom that God has called you to. One, it disregards the complete fact that your freedom came through faith in Jesus Christ. And on the one hand, Christ demonstrated who had ultimate freedom was one who used his freedom to serve, to lay down his life, right? The Apostle Paul earlier in chapter 2, also in chapter 3, but in chapter 2, right, he has that beautiful statement regarding Christ saying, he who, who gave himself for me and loved me. Christ sets the example for us and because we've been, we've believed upon him, right? Faith doesn't just look at Jesus Christ and acknowledge the fact that he died for sin. Faith brings us into union with him, life flowing unto life, that we've been bonded to Jesus Christ. Our life is hidden with him. And therefore, his life manifests itself in our life. And therefore, our freedom then is then to be used, even as Christ used his own, not as a base of operations by by which we might give opportunity for the flesh, as Paul's going to later... Flesh it out for us, right? In terms of of, um, fighting, in terms of consuming. But instead, as we've believed upon Jesus Christ, as we've been united to Him by faith, as we've been called in Christ to freedom, we are instead to serve one another in love. And again, as I said earlier, Paul's language here is, is even stronger, right? We're to relate to one another, be one another's slaves in love. Again, that's what Paul is calling us to because of what Christ has done and because we have been united to him uh, by faith as well. And therefore, we're to use our freedom properly. And as I said earlier, maybe just to flesh this out a little bit further here, Right, this means not only when I think about myself, I am free and therefore um, I'm not to, you know, to, to uh, be in bondage or nobody can tell me what to do, but that's not the perspective Paul is getting at here. Rather, Paul is saying that when you think about your freedom, also think about the freedom of those sitting around you, and therefore relate to one another as slaves, not as taskmasters. And I think this is very important. Because I think that this kind of mindset could settle in where maybe a certain way of living. Now, there are certain things, of course, the Bible forbids and we need to be strong on those things. But oftentimes, the Christian life is filled with a matter of wisdom. What is wise for me in this situation? Uh, What works well for me in this situation? What is good for me in this situation? And we can often take what might be wise and then begin to elevate it as if, well, this now is the standard. This now is what everybody here must be doing as well. And I begin now presuming myself as more righteous or standing over such people and looking down upon them because, well, they don't do the exact things that, that I like to do. They don't raise their kids the way that I raise my kids. They don't um, treat their wife. Of course, there are things we are to treat our wives properly, right? But it's like, well, they don't do this specific thing. Or, right, we can, we can often elevate things that we think are wise and maybe very helpful. To a position of now saying, they're not doing it, and therefore, I look down upon them. But you are not their taskmaster. Now, yes, if your brother and sister is caught in sin, we have plenty of exhortations throughout Scripture. You need to go to your brother and point that out to them and, call, and ask them to repent. But we cannot take matters of wisdom and require it of other people. Rather, we are to relate to one another As servants. Relate to one another as, as slaves, not taskmasters. And this is what then begins to define the relationships within the church. It's what defines the love that we are to have for, for one another. Not just requiring rules of one another. Not requiring of one another more than the Lord himself requires of us. But being willing to to live with my brother and sister, to think of them as more important than myself, to have the mind of Christ, as Paul says elsewhere in Philippians chapter 2. And so these are the kind of relations that we are to have in the church. Servants, not taskmasters regarding one another. I think this is what the Apostle Paul is calling us when he says, do not use your freedom as opportunity for the flesh, but through love be a servant, be a slave of one another. That's the command that goes out to us. And so we might ask ourselves, right, it's not meant just to be convicting or whatever it might be. I think there's many ways here which you look around and see love abounding. Uh, You can see many different people here from different backgrounds, different convictions on various things, and yet we can come together in love for one another, not biting and devouring one another. So right? we can also be commended by the Apostle Paul and his word here. But also then say, okay, let me be careful that we don't fall into these things, and let us continue to grow in these things as well, that freedom might mark us as the people of God, and that freedom might be used to love one another and serve one another. Now, Paul gives two incentives on the basis of that command, right? And these come in verses 14 and 15. And first, the first incentive comes from the law itself, from the Old Testament, which is very ironic. The Apostle Paul is dealing with these false teachers who are saying that the Apostle Paul is overturning the law and he's contradicting the law and uh, they're seeking to bring the people back under the law. And the Apostle Paul ironically is saying actually they are the ones who are contradicting the law. They're the ones who are missing the whole point of the law. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is um, a command that isn't new. It's not as if the Apostle Paul is saying the law was once this, but now it's a matter of love. No, Paul here is simply just citing uh, Leviticus, I believe, Leviticus 19, verse uh, 18, or maybe it's 18, verse 19, but he's quoting from Leviticus here. This was always at the heart of the law. And so, the Judaizers, who are the opponents that Paul is dealing with, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, right? They had made the law something else, right? Not a matter of how I ought to love my brother and sister and how I ought to love God, but they made it a matter of how I might measure myself up against the law and declare myself righteous. But the law was never, again, meant to be inwardly focused, right? This idea of, like, here's the law that you might now begin thinking of yourself as righteous, The law was given that you might know how to love your neighbor and love God as you've been called to do. And so Paul's saying that's always been the point. And in fact, these false teachers, all their emphasis on the law, miss the very heart of the law. Rather, the heart of the law is fulfilled in love. And how do we love? But by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith working itself out in love, as Paul says a a few verses earlier in chapter 5 as I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm united to him by faith, it's then that I can fulfill the law. It's then that I can begin to truly love my neighbor, truly begin to relate to one another, not as if we're in a competition and one needs to always outdo the other, but rather we can begin outdoing one another, showing honor to each other. Rather, we can love and serve one another instead. And so that's kind of been an ironic point that the Apostle Paul is making. If you think you're fulfilling the law to be righteous before God, you're actually under a curse. But if you recognize your freedom from the law by faith in Jesus Christ, you actually fulfill the law. That's, again, the irony that Paul is demonstrating and showing for us here. And so he says that this has a kind of incentive for us. True law fulfillment comes as we love one another in Christ through faith that that's what then is to inspire us to move us to love not as Paul's been talking about earlier to make us righteous before God because when we do that when we think that we're right before God in terms of our own righteousness then it leads to us and it leads to very negative consequences in terms of the horizontal relations we have with one another we can begin begin to devouring one another consuming one another competing with one another but when we recognize that we're right before God by faith alone in Jesus Christ, then we can begin truly loving one another and fulfilling God's law, even as Paul's going to qualify it later as the law of Christ. So that's the first incentive, which is positive. The second incentive comes in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The language here is, was quite common in Paul's day, often kind of to depict the, the immoral life and um, the, the unethical life a, a, in, in kind of animalistic terms. Uh, it wasn't true to your humanity. It wasn't true to you as the image of God, right? To begin to de- biting and devouring one another. It's not how God designed you and created you. And the language here might even reflect that of a serpent biting and devouring um you can find some parallels throughout the scriptures and also in some other uh, literature during Paul's day. But right, you can think about the kind of serpentine way of acting towards one another, biting and devouring, and then ultimately cons- you know, consuming one another, even as a snake consumes its prey. And Paul is saying that the serpent's theology and the serpent's ethic is not to be found among the church because it would only bring about our destruction. Right, A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. But the church is to be a place not where we are divided and not where we're competing, but a place, again, where we're looking to Jesus Christ and by faith, acting in love towards one another, not standing as taskmasters and thinking ourselves more righteous than anyone else, but instead coming under each other, serving one another, laying down our life for one another, And all of this, again, is grounded in the fact that God has called us to freedom. Christ has delivered us through his death and resurrection from the present evil age. And we then are to begin living by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power that belongs to the new creation. Our lives aren't to reflect the kind of lives that we see around us in the world who does not know Christ. The kind of competition and biting and devouring we see around us, the King of Hill mentality that we see around us. That's the serpent's way of living. But instead, we are to look to Christ, united to Him, acting in faith and fulfilling the law of Christ in loving one another. And so, brothers and sisters, let us grow in these things. Let us continue to press on in these things and seek maturity as well. That we might be presented one day holy and spotless before our God and our king, through the powerful work of Jesus Christ. And their next uh, sermon next week'll we'll be uh, fleshing this out a bit further in terms of Paul's division between the flesh and the spirit. What does he mean by this divide? Uh, but for now, right? Paul calls us to love. In light of what Christ has, has, in, in light of Christ loving us, we are now called to love and serve one another. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word that speaks so clearly to us. We thank you that you have called us to freedom. We thank you that you have in your Son delivered us from the present evil age, and as you have made us new creations in Christ. Help us then to live according to the ethic of the new creation. Help us to live according to the law of Christ, to love one another. Where we might think ourselves greater, may you humble us and cause us to become servants of God of all, and where we feel uh, useless, and where we feel that we may not be uh, those able to serve, Father, may you remind us that you've given us your spirit. And so encourage us this way, and may we as a church body grow in these matters as well, and also be thankful for the ways that we have grown in these, and and these things are manifested among us already. And so we thank you for all that you've done for us, and may we continue to press on the freedom that you have won for us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.